I would like you to hear from another giant in this church and frankly one of my personal heroes. So watch the screen, please. My name is John Jones, and I've been privileged to serve as a part of this congregation for the last 33 years. Joanne, my wife, and I have enjoyed every single year with this church. It has been a tremendous blessing for us. And I had no idea at the time we came here that I would move to a church where I would never leave. I'm going to stay here until God takes me to his home. And I believe with all of my heart that God will do greater things than ever before in the Hills Church of Christ. I know the kind of people who are in this church, and I believe that we are embracing the 2020 vision, and that in doing that, God will be glorified. And the greatest years of productivity in this church are ahead of us. I hope I get to stay around a few more years because it's going to be an exciting time for all of us in the kingdom of God. Well, first off, forgive my voice. I'm going to play hurt today. We knew five years ago this weekend was coming. When we launched the 2005, the 2020 vision, we knew then that the day was going to come that we were going to have to step up to the plate and fund this vision to become the church and to do the things that we thought God was calling us to do and to be. And that weekend's here. And so in some ways... I've been preparing for this sermon for five years. It made me think about a cartoon I saw one time. There are two guys. They're standing outside of what clearly is a church that's dismissing. And all they're wearing is boxer shorts. And the caption says, that's the best sermon on giving I ever heard. I would like that sermon right now. But the truth is, God does not want the shirt off your back. God wants the heart under your shirt. Because God only seeks greatness. Have you noticed we use that word a lot now? Greatness? Some of you are old enough to remember the word was groovy. In my generation, the word was cool. You had to be cool by knowing when to say cool at cool times. And the words can be confusing. Remember when it was good to be bad? If you were bad, that was good. And then it was awesome. My favorite word was dude. Because dude can multitask. I was in a van one time with seven college students. We went 200 miles. One boy only used the word dude and participated in every conversation. (laughs) If he was surprised, he'd go, dude. If he was mad, he'd go, dude. If he was uh, amazed and thought something was cool or awesome, he'd go, dude. (laughs) It's a great word. But if you listen to the last few years, the word is greatness. Oh, that's greatness. I'm a little confused by this word because I'm not sure when to use it. I mean, pizza is greatness. And that football game was 
greatness. And, and I got to thinking, what does God call greatness? Do you remember we started this series looking at the children of Israel? They were afraid to cross the river. They lacked greater vision and they turned away. So God raised up a new generation with greater courage to take the promised land. I want us now to finish where we started and go back to that story. So there they are. They've crossed the river and they see something they've never seen before. A giant city with huge fortified walls. Now, they've never fought against such an enemy. They've had a few skirmishes out in the open field of the desert. But they don't have the skill, they don't have the tools to take down walled cities. And I don't think Joshua knew what to do. And I think that's why he's out by himself taking a walk, thinking about what comes next. Let's read chapter 5, starting verse 13. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I've now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out, no one came in. And then the Lord said to Joshua, Now watch this close. See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, Along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horn in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them, the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse. And the people will go up, every man, straight in. You see, Joshua was out there wandering, looking at that huge city with those huge walls, thinking, I don't see how this is possible. But God wanted to give them a greater victory. And let me tell you this morning how greater victory happens. First, it's when we let God decide what's possible. He met a new commander with a new perspective. And he said, what side are you on? And he got quickly reminded, God doesn't come to take sides. God comes to take over. And he says, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Now, wait a second. I can see. And I see a big city with big walls. But God is saying, can you see only with the eyes of the flesh and see a big wall? Or can you see with the eyes of faith and see the victorious will of God. Because God says, I have delivered. Now that's a prophetic perfect. What that means is sometimes when God talks about something in the future that is so sure, he talks about it like it's already happened. So he says, I've already decided it. I have already given you this city. Now step out in faith and take what I've already done. You see, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. That's why we don't let the flesh tell us 
what is possible. It's why Jesus said in Luke 18, God can do things that are not possible for people to do. Because Satan is constantly trying to convince God's people that certain walls cannot come down. He does it at a personal level. He's whispered in your ear, you're never going to get over that addiction. You're going to be in bondage to it the rest of your life. He does it to your marriage. It'll never get better. This is as good as it's ever going to get. He does it with that sin you've struggled with. You're never going to break free. You're going to stay in this prison all your life. He loves to tell you the wall can never come down. He does it at a congregational level. I'm sure he's whispered in many years. His church is not going to start a university in Africa. Who's ever heard of such a thing? It's going to take $35 million. That's not possible. This church can't plant all those churches in that 2020 vision. No one's ever tried such a thing. That's not doable. This church can't add 4,000 new people in 10 years. Churches all over America are dying. Churches are going down. They're not going up. Here's what we do. Whenever Satan says that, we point to the empty tomb and we remind him the victory has already been decided. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. Richard Wormbrand in his book, Torture for Christ, talks about he was a minister in Romania when the communists were in power. They put him in prison for 14 years. They put him 30 feet under the ground in this little cell that only had one light bulb hanging down. They beat him to the point that when he got out and was released and he would give his testimony in places like this, he'd have to sit on a stool because his feet had been beaten too many times for him to stand up. In 1992, after the communists fell, he got to go back to Romania. They said, would you like to see the first ever Christian bookstore in Romania? They took him down under the ground to this room. And that old man started to jump up and down and dance on those feet. You know why? Because it was the prison room he had been kept in for 14 years. And now the Jesus and the gospel are coming from it. And here's my point. No ground occupied by the enemy is off limits to God. And the church of Jesus Christ is being built by Jesus Christ so it cannot be confined and it cannot be defined by gates and by walls. Paul said, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power as work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. God longs to give greater victory to his people, but it starts by letting God decide what's possible. Second, we've got to let God demand what's valuable. And so here's what God told Joshua to tell the people when they went into that city in chapter 6, verse 17. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. In other words, when you go and you take that city, you don't keep anything for yourself. Every single thing you get out of that city goes into the treasury of the Lord. Now, they didn't do that in every single city, but they did it in the first one. And you know why? If you remember our series last January called First, God Always ask for the first fruits. So God said, when you take the first city, I don't want some of it. I want the whole sum. Because this principle runs all through the Bible. In the Old Testament, if you had a calf, the first one goes to God. If you have a lamb, the first one goes to God. 
God doesn't say, you have ten lambs and give me the tenth one. He says, you have one lamb and give me the first one and then you'll have nine more. You have a son, the first one is devoted to God. When the harvest comes in, the first fruits go to God. God never in the Bible says, you bring me something after you've gotten all you want. God never asks for leftovers. He always asks for first fruits. Now, this is why I think this campaign has been so critical to the spiritual health of this church because it is making some of us for the first time really ask the question, have I ever really sacrificed something for God? Because let's be honest, many of us can tithe and still do everything we want to do, wear everything we want to wear, eat anything we want to eat. Many of us can live quite comfortably and still feel good about giving God the excess. We need a season in our life where God says, I want to sacrifice. I want you to give up something, something significant, something important, and bring it to me. It's important for us, it's important to teach our kids. I was reminded of that just recently when I saw a video testimony by one of our elders, Lynn Waller. I want you to watch this, please. One of the reasons I'm excited about Greater Things is because it provides us here at the Hills an opportunity to both set an example for and inspire churches and individuals all over the country and even in other parts of the world. But also we have an opportunity to both inspire and set examples for our own children and even grandchildren. And I saw an example of that in my own experience recently when I was going through a box of belongings that uh, had belonged to my grandparents. And I, I enjoyed seeing the pictures and memorabilia. But my eyes fell on this yellow document, which when I looked at it, I saw this was my grandparents' tax return for the year 1958. And I couldn't help but look and see how much did they give to the Lord that year. And it turned out they gave 22% of their income. And I wasn't surprised. That's what I would have expected. But it occurred to me, had I looked and seen that it was, say, only 5%, I would have been deeply disappointed. I would have thought, my grandfather wasn't really the man I thought he was. But he didn't let me down. And he, he set an example for me to strive for. And it dawned on me, the same thing is going on now. I have grandchildren. And one of these days, they may find one of these for me, for 2010 or 2011. And I don't want them to look in here and be disappointed. I want them to be proud of what their grandparents did. Yeah, I've got it right here. 1958. A.F. and Eva Waller, Hillsborough, Texas. He was a minister. He made $3,300 that year. He gave almost $800 to his church. He walked the walk. He didn't just talk the talk. Someday my kids are going to know everything about my finances. I want them to know that I was doing the same thing. See, here's the principle. God's only going to bless where you put him first. 
Don't put God second in your marriage. Don't put him second in your job. Don't put God second at your school and then say, now God bless it. And don't put him second in your finances and say, God bless my finances. God can't do that. It's morally impossible for God to bless a lie. If you want God to bless him, put him first. Jesus said, Matthew 6, more than anything else, put God's work first and do what he wants and then the other things will be yours as well. Greater victory is always going to demand that we overcome that temptation to put our confidence in our savings more than we do in our Savior. And so God says, let me decide what's possible. Let me demand what's valuable. And one more thing. This is always true when there's greater victory. We've got to let God dethrone what's comfortable. Now think about it. What military advisor would say to an army, here's what I want you to do. March around a city for seven days. Exposing your troops to ridicule and even to danger from archers. Why would anybody do that? But God is always doing that in the Bible. Taking his people out of their comfort zone and putting them in awkward situations. Why does God do that? Simple. When we get out of the boat and the victory comes, God gets a whole lot more glory. Because everybody knows the only way it could have happened is if God showed up. And so the walls come down, they shout, and the Bible says in John 6, the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and the sound of the trumpet, the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged in, and they took the city. Let me tell you one of the things I love most about this church, maybe the thing I love most, your history has been this, you have let your leaders take you out of your comfort zone. You have embraced change even when it made you personally uncomfortable. You have said time and time again, it's not about me. It's not about making my life easy. It's about the mission of God. So do what we have to do for the mission. I think we've honored God in the past for that. I think we're going to honor Him in the future. Let me tell you something. After this campaign is over, do you think it's going to get easier? You think we're never going to have a change again? Do you think when they rip up 820, it's going to be comfortable to come here? Do you think when we remodel this auditorium and we have to meet somewhere in this building, I don't know how many times, how many ways it's going to be easy? But over and over again, you have said, we don't want sanitized, domesticated discipleship. So take us where we need to go because it's about the mission of God. I want to be a follower of Jesus I was called to be. I don't want to look back on my life and regret that I never became the person I could have become because I was too afraid or comfortable to go there. I don't want walls determining my future. I thought about this when I read about Edison Pena. You probably saw this picture last Sunday. He crossed the finish line of the New York City Marathon You see the flag of Chile behind him. You may know the story. Edison was one of the miners, the 33 Chilean miners, trapped 69 days, a half mile under the surface of the earth. And he's down there in that blackness, and he began to think, what could life be like if he ever left that cave? He cut his mining boots off at the ankle. He had a 1,000-foot path in total darkness, and he started to run. 
He would run in darkness on that thousand foot path, bath and forth. He would run six to seven miles twice a day because he said, if I ever get out of here, I'm going to run a marathon. And his training inspired all those men because he would not let walls tell him what could be possible. We're running a better race. We're running a great race. And Jesus tells us how to run it. Matthew 22, he says, You love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. You see, here's the key to greater victory. It's total surrender. I know that's a paradox, but in the Bible, you want great victory, then you tell God, I surrender. It's all yours. My time, my treasure, my talent, everything I am. It's all yours. You see, greater victory reminds us that loving God with everything is the greatest thing. All along, what's the greatest thing? Not planting more churches. Not starting a college in Africa. What's the greatest thing? The greatest thing is to love God with everything. And I think that's what this campaign has helped some of us realize. That's why we're going to celebrate tonight. At one level, it's already been a success. Because for a lot of you, the walls are starting to come down and God is starting to take over. And that's what God calls greatness. So it's time for our offering. The offering we've been praying about for five years. The offering that's going to fuel the next ten years. We're going to pray over it first. And I'm going to ask the elders to stand in this room. And they're just going to stand in the aisles and hold up their hands and just pray over you while a couple of elders come up here on the stage and pray with me. Let's bow our heads now as our leaders pray over us. Oh God, as we come to this weekend of greater things, we acknowledge you as the great God, the great King above all kings, the creator and sustainer of life. And God, you have poured out on us your wealth. We are privileged to live in a land that's free and to live in luxury compared to all the rest of the world. And Father, we come this morning to give back to you some of what you've entrusted to us. Father, as we've thought about this campaign of greater things, we've chosen because we think you wanted us to, to fund first the mission efforts that go on around the world. And Father, we give you praise this morning that enough money has already come in to fully fund that mission work. But Father, it's a campaign about greater things, about more things still to be done. And we're excited this morning to have this opportunity to share together in accomplishing your work in this place. To think about things like a university in Africa and a new campus and a new facility here for all of the things that we've laid out 
before this church and before you that we've prayed about and thought about for a year now. And Father, we're excited about this time when we can come and bring back to you what you've placed on our hearts to bring. Father, I'm especially excited this morning that there are some here who will for the first time not vicariously but personally themselves experience the richness of your promise that when we give, you give. They'll understand firsthand that we can't outgive you. Father, I am excited about what's about to happen, and I pray that every gift that's brought this morning will honor you and that you will take it and multiply it like Jesus multiplied the loaves and fishes to accomplish your work in this place. In Jesus' name. Lord, I just echo this prayer this morning. I, Lord, I'm touched by just the young children that are coming up here this morning and bringing money, Lord, to, to give to you. And, Lord, just that their hearts are so pure. And I pray for our church body, Lord. I pray for that everyone that gives knows where these, where these dollars go. And, Lord, that lives are changed, that, that people are brought to you. People come to know you because of these things. Lord, we know that you don't need our money. You need our hearts. And I pray your blessings on that this morning. Uh, Lord, we just, uh, it's just a, just a great honor to be part of this church body, to hear your word this morning, uh, to put forth the efforts of, of bringing forth dollars that we have, Lord, that we can give to you. I pray your blessings on each and every family represented this morning. Um, Lord, it's not the amount, it's the heart. And we ask that you would use these things and, Lord, that glory and honor is brought to you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the people in this church. We want to spread this around this whole country and build, Lord. Let them know that, Lord, we want this church and we want your word to be spread all around this world. That's our goal. We love you, Lord. We thank you for Jesus. It's through his name I pray. And finally, Lord, I want to pray right now. You've done such a great work in this church last 10 weeks defeating the spirit of fear. So many people had to overcome fear as they decided what they were going to do for this campaign. If there's anyone left, Father, still afraid, I pray that you would speak into them and fill them with your courage. But right now, God, I also pray against the spirit of pride. If Satan can't keep us from sacrificing, then he'll try to make us feel proud about what we sacrificed. But it's not about us, God. It's all about you. It's all about your glory. This is so that your name can be known in all the earth. So we pray right now, Father, that you show up and shine and reveal yourself. Make your glory known in this place. That if there's anyone in this room right now who is not a believer in Jesus, they will be overwhelmed by your presence and they will surrender today. I'm praying right now that someone gets saved today, God. Someone would come today to Jesus Christ and be baptized because they know that God is in this place. It's for your glory we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's how we're going to do this. We're going to sing a number of songs. And for the first several songs, we're going to, for those able, we're going to give like they gave in the New Testament. 
where the Bible says people would come and they would just publicly give their offering to their leaders. And so your elders are going to be up here on these two tables and they're going to be up at the table in the balcony. And while we stand and as we sing, you're going to come and you're just going to live your offering with your elders. After a few songs, I will pass the plates one time if we need to in case some of you physically aren't able to get up. We'll do that for you. But for those who can, I think it will be a blessing to you to come up here and encourage your leaders by your faith gift. And if you need to be baptized into Jesus, you just come down here and tell me right now. Let's all stand up. This is our moment. This is our moment to do something great. Let God be praised while you come.